All righty, well, good morning. So, uh, Pastor Bill is at the FEC convention this weekend. It's where he's been. Uh, Pastor Dan's teaching the kids, and Pastor Chris is picking up uh, kids again from camp. You know, he's, he's been up there a lot this past couple weeks, so doing that. So, um, I drew the, drew the short straw to preach this morning. Not just kidding. I enjoy it. So I enjoy it. It's always good to be a part of this and to dig, dig in God's word in, in a different way as opposed to just reading it and trying to apply it to your life. Um, it's, you know, you have to look at it from a different standpoint when you're preparing a sermon. So I, I really appreciate the challenge in that. In the past few weeks, past five weeks to be specific, Pastor Bill's been going through the book of Daniel. And what I want to do is just real quickly recap that for you if you've missed a couple weeks. And we're, first we look at Daniel 1. We, we, we see what I call the food test. We see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. They're, they all challenge the new nation that has take them, taken them captive, the Babylonians. They've asked them, say, hey, can we not eat the food that you guys are preparing? Can we stay true to who God's asked us to be and eat what we desire, um, just the vegetables and the water, not the royal feast that you prepare? And they found favor, and God allows them to um, distinguish themselves physically ab- above those guys as they ate the other choice foods, and so they can get to continue and hold true to who they are as, as Hebrews. In Daniel 2, we see Daniel interpret the dream of the golden statue. Here we see Nebuchadnezzar have a dream. Daniel comes in, and God gives him the dream, what it means, and, and it's a breakdown of different kingdoms that are going to rule in the coming years, uh, and Daniel uh, is the one that brings that message to King Nebuchadnezzar. Then in Daniel 3, we see the golden image and the fiery furnace. So King Nebuchadnezzar took that dream literally and says, hey, I'm going to build me a statue of gold, and I'm going to make everybody bow down to it. And if they don't bow down to it, I'm going to throw them into the fiery furnace. And so we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, them face the king, not bowing to the statue and being thrown into the fiery furnace. Then in Daniel chapter 4, again, another interpretation of a dream. And this time it's Daniel interpreting a dream for Nebuchadnezzar again. But this is a tree that's being cut down. And God gives Daniel the word that that tree is Nebuchadnezzar. And it's a period of time that Nebuchadnezzar spins out in the wilderness like a crazed wild animal. And again, it goes back to the fact that Nebuchadnezzar had this real struggle of his ego and his pride. He wanted to build a kingdom that would last forever. It's kind of interesting, I forgot to say his first service, but he was so spent on making his kingdom last forever that he had his name inscribed on every brick that was ever laid in his kingdom. There's a brick in the British Museum that has his name inscribed on it. That's how spent he was on making sure that his name was remembered forever. And so we see that dream. Then we see a regime change here. We see Nebuchadnezzar die, and we see his son Belshazzar in chapter 5 take take charge, and he doesn't get to rule for very long because we see the Persian and the Medes come in, but before that, Daniel has to interpret what we call the writing on the wall, and we've heard that statement used. Bill explained that last week. You know, it's the writing on the wall. It's the last reminder that, hey, your kingdom is done, and Belshazzar and, and his whole crew uh, fall prey to the, to the Persians and the Medes, and so that brings us here today to chapter 6 with Daniel in the lion's den. But first, I want to start with a story, and the story is called Anyone Else Up There. So let me go ahead and read this, so pay attention, because the, the ending is really important. Okay? A man named Jack was walking along a steep cliff one day when he accidentally got too close to the edge and fell. On the way down, he grabbed a branch, which temporar- temporarily stopped his fall. 
He looked down into his horse, saw that the canyon fell straight down for more than a thousand feet. He couldn't hang on to the branch forever, and there was no way for him to climb up the steep wall of the cliff. So Jack began yelling for help, hoping that someone passing by would hear him and lower a rope or something. Help! Help! Is anyone up there? Help! He yelled for a long time, but no one heard him. He was about to give up when he heard a voice. Jack! Jack! Can you hear me? Yes! Yes, I can hear you. I'm down here. I can see you, Jack. Are you all right? Yes, but who are you and where are you? I am the Lord, Jack. I'm everywhere. The Lord? You mean God? That's me. God, please help me. I promise if you'll get me down from here, I'll stop sinning. I'll be a really good person. I'll serve you for the rest of my life. Easy on the promises, Jack. Let's get you off from there. Then we can talk. Now, here's what I want you to do. Listen carefully. I'll do anything, Lord. Just tell me what to do. Okay, let go of the branch. What? I said, let go of the branch. Just trust me. Let go. There was a long silence. Long pause. Finally, Jack yelled, help, help. Is anyone else up there? But isn't that true of our own lives? A lot of times we'll ask God for something. And instead of being patient or doing what he asks, we find a way to do it ourselves. So I want to focus on this one statement that I'm going to bring up a couple times in this message. And it's called, do I trump God or does God trump me? Now let me just get a disclaimer out of the way. By no means am I supporting Donald Trump in this message at all. Okay, Whoever you vote for, that's between you and God. But we're not using this stage for a political pulpit at all. What I'm talking about is a game of cards, you know, like euchre or spades. There's a card that we play that trumps another card. Well, a lot of times in our own lives, we trump God's will. When we should let God trump our will. So that's what I'm referencing today when I say that statement. So as we get into this, as we look into chapter 6, I first want us to take note of the promotion so remember, we had a regime change. So Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, they're gone. The Babylonian nation's defeated. And here we are with the, Persian and the, the Persians and the Medes. And we read here in verses 1 through 3 king, about King Darius and how he established his, his government here. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps, or governors, to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators, presidents over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps, or governors again, were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So now we see this new government set up. King, three governors, and 120 satraps. So about 40 governors reported to these administrators, okay, of which Daniel was one. Daniel had so set himself apart from the other two um, that the king wanted to elevate him up another level over the two administrators and then the 120 governors, okay? What I love is in Daniel 6, that verse 3, I love in the New American Standard Version, it says this, then Dan this Daniel began distinguish distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. It wasn't because he was just good at his job, that the king wanted him to be in that position. It's because of who 
Daniel was. It's because of the character that he possessed, who he was, who God had made him to be. He was trustworthy. He was honest. He was full of integrity. And what you read in the previous verses, you see that the king didn't want to lose anything because what would happen is those other 120 governors and those administrators, they would try to finagle the system to bring profit to themselves. Kind of sounds familiar, huh? Like our own political system, right? We see that happen a lot. We see people taking advantage of things for their own gain, not for the people that they're trying to serve. And so that's why the king wanted to set Daniel up in this position. But that leads us to the plot, where the story starts to get a little bit thick. In verses 4 through 9, we read this. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal ministers, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. First, I want to take note of the fact that in the, earlier in the verse there, they said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Now, we're in a political season, right? And we watch the Facebook, you watch any news, you see slanders and everything being thrown against every candidate that's running, right? They're finding all kinds of dirt on everybody, right? Now, here it is. This kingdom's set up, and they can't find one thing against Daniel. Not one darn thing not one thing against him except for his love of his God and his commitment to who his God was. The other thing we see in this is we see a little bit of different change in the government structure. Underneath King Nebuchadnezzar and his son, they could issue a decree and they could retract that decree in a moment's notice because they were the dictator, they were the ruler. Here in the Persian and the Mede system, it was different. When a king issued a decree, he could not change it. He could not withdraw it by any means at all. It had to fulfill its lifespan. So there's a little bit of a difference in the governmental structure here. But we also see the king give in to a little bit of his ego. How many of you guys would feel kind of good if somebody said, hey, we want to make you God for 30 days, just 30 days? I mean, it's not too long, right? It's not too, too long. If you're the king, you'd kind of like that and make you feel a little good. It's like, hey, these people really like me. Yeah. They really like me. I, I, I could do that for 30 days. So we see the king kind of give in to his ego a little bit here, and, and he issues that degree, decree without thinking. And he's probably thinking it's just a short time. You know, it's going to end, and it's not going to bring any harm. That's probably what he's thinking. Daniel learns about this, but we continue here to see Daniel's perseverance. As we read the next verse, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Now I want us to focus on that last part. I, I read a lot of different commentators, and, and I, to be honest, I didn't like a lot of their opinions on where they took this. They kind of made it sound like Daniel learned about the law, and then he went to the window, and the first thing he wanted to do is kind of like, 
you know, broadcast his prayers so that everybody knew he was praying. But the last part there says, just as he had done before. This wasn't something that Daniel just started doing. He'd been doing this for his entire life, I believe. He had been faithful in his act of prayer three times a day, on his knees facing Jerusalem. And there's an important reason why he faced Jerusalem. And we read that in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 46 through 51. This is where King Solomon's dedicating the temple. He had finally finished the work of his father David, and here he is um, praying this prayer to God in dedication of God's temple. And he says this, When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them, he's talking about the Israelites, and give them over to their enemies, who take them captive to their own lands, far away or near, and if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive, and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong, we have acted wickedly, and if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive, and pray to you toward the land you gave their ancestors, toward the city you have chosen, and the temple I have built for your name, then from heaven your dwelling place, place hear the prayer and, and their plea, and uphold their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you, forgive all the offenses they have committed against you, and cause their captors to show them mercy, for they are your people and your inheritance, whom you brought out of Egypt, out of the iron smelting furnace. See, I think we see Daniel here continually doing this prayer on a daily basis. One, I believe, to bring blessings to the, the nation of which the Israelites were in so that they would find favor with that nation and the leadership there, but also that God would hear their prayers and that he, they would have forgiveness so that they could go into Jerusalem once again. And the funny thing is, is in this chapter, we begin to see the end of 70 years in captivity, and we begin to see King Cyrus allowing Daniel and the Israelites to start to venture back into Jerusalem to start rebuilding the kingdom. Daniel had a purpose. He was committed to that purpose, and that was to his people and to his God, and this was the thing that he did daily. He didn't do it like Jesus said in Matthew 6, 5, he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. He didn't do it to be seen and to be glorified. He did it because it was his ritual daily to pray for his people and to his God. So I have to ask that question. In our own lives, do we, when it comes to prayer, do we trump God or do we let God trump us? Do we find ways that we can connect with God in a real way, no matter what the circumstances are? But because of Daniel's actions, we see prosecution take place. The king has to follow through, and we read that here in verses 11 through 13. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, Anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den. The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Again, we hear that. You can't repeal that law. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in ring. He still prays three times a day. Again, we have to remember that law couldn't be changed. So see, we see here Daniel being true to his commitment, being faithful, and we see a king who finally realizes 
the error of his way. But I love his response. And he used the word probity. And, and it was asked back behind the stage, like, what's that mean? And the definition of the word is integrity and uprightness and honesty. And I, and I chose that because we see a very different response from King Darius than we do King Nebuchadnezzar earlier on. When the, when the three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, chose not to obey Nebuchadnezzar, he was infuriated to the point where he stoked the fiery furnace and he got it so hot that it killed his own men. That's how angry he was about them not obeying. But here we see King Darius in verse 14, we see his response. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Now, this gives us a small picture of how much this king respected and loved Daniel. He didn't want him to perish, and immediately he recognizes the faults of his ways. And he does everything that he can in that time to try and save Daniel. But ultimately, it still leads to the penalty. And we read about that penalty in verse 15, beginning there. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. We see his integrity. He followed through with the law, even though he didn't want to, even though he dreaded every moment of that. He still stayed true to the law that had been written, and him and his nobles, you know, they sealed that stone with their own rings. But it's funny what happens. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Now what I thought was interesting about this whole part of the penalty is do you ever once see Daniel argue his case? Does Daniel ever, in, this, in these verses here, does he ever lawyer up and say, no, you're not going to take me there. You're not going to take me there. I wasn't guilty of that. Do you ever see him try to defend himself in any way? We don't. But who does? In a roundabout way, the king is helping Daniel. He's the only one that's talking here. And I love what he says. May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. He says that as he's putting Daniel in, in the den there. He knows what Daniel's God has done in the past. I believe it. I believe he's heard the stories of the fiery furnace and the writing on the wall and the interpretations of the dreams. He's heard all of that. He knows who Daniel's God is and he's saying, may he be able to save you. And then as the night 
goes on, I would think that most kings wouldn't be able, wouldn't want to even give a thought to one of their subjects, right? He would just be like, ah, it's over, it's done. I'm gonna go back to my daily, my daily activities and do what I do. But he doesn't. He goes back home and he fasts the night from everything. In anguish, he's ready in the morning to run down and see if Daniel's alive. And I love what he says. Daniel, servant of the living God. He recognizes that, God's a, that Daniel's God is a living God. Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And he had. We see the miraculous happen there. We see God again show himself faithful to Daniel and the circumstances that he put him in. It's a miracle that he sat in there and wasn't eaten. There's some commentaries and scholars that believe that all the lions were hungry. You know, they had fed him a big meal the night before, and so he was able to stay in there and, and not be eaten or touched by lions because they weren't hungry. No, no they, these, these lions were purposely kept hungry. I mean, they're probably at the point of just wanting to eat each other. That's, that's, that's exactly how they were designed to be because this was a punishment on a regular basis. This was a crude way of doing it, but it's how they did it, right? I think about our own lives. I think about, you know, recently in Germantown Hills, we, we see miracles. We see Daniel lifted out of the pit of lions unharmed. But I think about Seth DeLuca and his family, and I think what they've gone through. God still does miracles. God still makes things happen in our world that we cannot explain, but the only answer we have for it is God did it. 2004, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor, pituitary tumor. Now, God just didn't miraculously take it away. I had doctors and radiation, but I remember the doctor specifically saying, you will be cured if you do this. I've never heard a doctor say that before. And to this day, I'm tumor-free. I go this week, Tuesday, to have it checked again. And you know what? It's always hard sometimes, especially for my wife. Her, it brings back all those feelings of when we first got that phone call. And sometimes it's easy for us to let our doubts and our worries, let those things trump who God is instead of letting him trump our circumstances. So as we read this and we read the miracle of the lions, let's be reminded that God also does miracles in our own lives. It's funny though, because Daniel gets pulled out. The king's overjoyed that his dear, close confidant is saved. And then we see the punishment. And this is why we know the lions were hungry. Okay, In verse 24, at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. These lions were hungry. They weren't, they weren't full and fat and happy. They were hungry. And in the Persian and the Mede system, when you committed a crime and you were found guilty of that crime, your whole family paid for that crime. So that's why we see the wives and the children. It wasn't just to be cruel. It was, again, the laws that had been in place had to be followed through. But we see that also in Daniel's life. The commitments that Daniel had made, 
he followed through with those commitments. Finally, we come to the proclamation. And I love this part because it's not just about Daniel. It's what the king says about God to the entire nation. Let's read it here, verses 25 through 28. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is a living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the powers of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Not even Daniel has to proclaim this. We have a pagan individual, a guy who who has seen this God at work, and he proclaims to all the world, all the Persians and Medes, saying, this God is the living God. Look to this man, because he is a great example of what this God can do if you follow this God. So it's an awesome proclamation of who Daniel was, but even greater who God was and how he used Daniel. Again, do I trump God or do I let God trump me and let him move and work through me? So just real quick, let's just go back over those real fast. First we see in Daniel 1, we see in the first verses we see promotion. Then we see the plot. We see the plot thicken as these guys try to um, make a way to capture Daniel. Then we see Daniel's perseverance. He's not going to quit doing what he does. He's going to keep on praying. He's going to keep on seeking God for the nation he's in, but also for the longing that he has to be home. We see the persecution. The king has to follow through with the law that he had written, that he agreed to. We see his probity. We see his honesty and his integrity rise up after he realizes the depth of what he had, uh, the, the depth of the uh, penalty that was going to happen there. We see the penalty of what Daniel had to pay, but how God saved him from that, and the miraculous there. We see the punishment of those who tried to craft that to their, to their purpose and trump the king and God's will there. And then we see the proclamation of how God was exalted to the whole nation and how Daniel was held up in respect and honor. Again, Daniel always let God trump everything he did. No king would ever let him, no law would ever stop him from serving his God. He was going to do, first and foremost, what his God had asked of him. So as I was thinking about how we could apply this, I asked my wife, Kayla, I said, you know, what if, what if we did some type of a, a challenge. You know, there's a lot of things in the life of the church that um, we can pray for that are happening right now. There's a lot of things in our community, in our world, our nation. There's a lot of things that we have to pray for. There's always things that we can pray for. And, and at first she was like, well, maybe this might be a too bit of a long, long period. And I thought, you know what? This is what they asked of the king, so I think we can do this as a church. And here's what I'm asking us to do. I'm asking us to take a 30-day God Trump Me challenge, okay? And so you, if you're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, you can use that hashtag. And this is just a way for us to challenge ourselves as a church to pray 
to read and to listen to God's word and to listen to God himself three times a day. And I'm gonna send out a reminder every day for the next 30 days at 9 a.m., at 12 p.m., and 9 p.m. for you guys. So if you don't follow me on Facebook or Twitter, hit me up, follow me, and I'll send out a little reminder and you can just get this as a reminder to say, hey, I wanna take 10 or 15 minutes and what I wanna do is I wanna pray and I wanna read and then I wanna listen. And here's what I want you to do. Not, not that this is bad how we do it, but sometimes I think we get busy and we try to fit prayer in. We try to fit prayer in on our ride to work. We try to fit it in our exercise. We try to fit it into some little nook and cranny that we're already doing. And I'm asking you not to do that. I'm asking you to say, I want 10 or 15 minutes by myself, in my closet, at home, in a room somewhere where I can just focus on God and God alone. As I start to go back to the Old Testament, New Testament, I don't see them doing a lot of work and things when they're praying. No, they're on their knees. They're before God in humility, saying, God, here I am. Here's my petitions, but I also want to hear from you. I want to read your word, and I want to listen. I know as a church, here's some things you can pray for. You know, we're going through a process here to hire a new assistant student pastor to help out with Pastor Chris and the junior high and senior ministries. Pray for that guy. Pray for who he is. They're in the process of interviewing now. Pray for them as they interview those individuals. That we get the right guy here at Great Oaks that will help us go to the next level. Pray for Pastor Bill as he transitions to the small groups, adult ministries pastor role. Pray for the new lead pastor that um, the job descriptions have been posted and the leadership team is getting resumes. Pray for that search team as well, that they would have wisdom and that God would direct them to the right person. Pray for your families, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, all those people that are around you that we just so many times take for granted. Pray for the needs that you have. And then just read God's word. Let his word just resonate in your heart. A lot of times this is how God speaks to us as we read his word. If it's something we do daily, this is how we hear from him. You know, that song that we just sang, Holy Spirit, you know, we want to know more of your presence, God. The only way we're going to get to know more of God's presence is if we spend time in his presence. And that's by praying and reading his word. So I encourage you guys, if you can, to take this challenge And I'll send out reminders, and I believe as a church that we can see great things, not just as a church here at Great Oaks, but also in our personal lives because we're dedicating time to give God and expecting him to move in our lives. Can we do that together? Amen? Can we do that? All right. Let's go and bow our heads and pray. Dear God, I just thank you so much. God, for who you are and what you've done. God, I'm reminded of the the lady that used to sing worship at the church I grew up in and had a chance to sit by her at a wedding during dinner this, this past weekend. And she reminded me of a time in her life when she was a stay at home mom that she would dedicate an hour each day to pray to the to you. God, I know those 13 years, without her doing a thing, God, you brought 30, 
30 plus people to her doorstep that she was able to lead to you because of her prayers. We don't realize how much our prayers, how much our prayers break down walls, how much our prayers accomplish things in the spiritual realm that we just don't understand, God, but you do. And it's so easy for us to fill our time with other things. Because I know I'm guilty of it as well. Sometimes we fill up the conversations one-sided. But God, as we read your word, we know that you hear us. We may not always get the answer we like, but God, we know you're there. Help us stay true the course. Help us stay committed as Daniel was committed to you. And though things around us may fall apart, God, when we're on our knees, there we find strength. There we find your peace. There we find your mercy and your grace, God. There we find your love. And I pray that as a church, God, that we would rise up and be a church that knows how to pray, a church that knows how to petition in a God, a church that knows how to see the miraculous happen on a daily basis. Because God, you are living. If the king of Persia and Medes can say that to his nation, of a God that he didn't know very much about, God, of us who have been sanctified, of us who have said yes to you, of us who have said Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior, how much more can we say that our God is alive and well today and he does things that we cannot explain God, set our hearts on fire for you. Help us to not trump you in our lives, but God, allow you to trump us each and every time. You're a good and gracious God, and you're so forgiving and so kind. Thank you for all that you do, God. We give you praise and thanks. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Let's stand up and let's sing this song out. Let's let God roar like a lion through our lives.